Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, December 10th, 2022. It's been another great week of shows with great topics and, of course, great guests. We kicked off the week analyzing whether alternative investments have helped public pension plans. Let's take a look. So like most uh, investors, anyone in the market, institutional investors included, um, you know, 2022 has been difficult. Um, They've definitely fallen short of their expectations uh, for the annual return, which is roughly 7% these days. Um, But what we think is important whenever uh, there are these dramatic market swings is to really take stock of the fact that public pensions are long-term investors. And what's really important is to look at how they performed over the long term, right? So this recent market downturn comes on the heels of a tremendous year in 2021. And so that kind of makes the point that it's really hard when you're just digesting a single year to make sense of how uh, pension funds are doing overall. There are two reasons, and we've looked at alts before. Um, And so in some sense, we're revisiting an issue that we think is relevant to the public pension space. Um, The narrative uh, that we that we uh, pulled out from our last research was really that this is kind of a new um, trend in public pension investing uh, and a growing trend. You know, what we see is that in 2001, uh, public pensions at the turn of the century were holding less than 10% in anything outside of traditional stocks and bonds. And today it's roughly 30%. So this is a significant shift in approach in terms of the asset classes that pension funds are investing in. And so um, as entities who study public pensions and are interested in their performance, it seems like this is a trend that we need to keep track of and to some extent assess you know, how well this transition has, has helped or hurt public plans. Basically, there were two periods prior to the global financial crisis and afterwards. Um, and prior and during uh, the holding alternatives seem to improve performance. So plans that held more in alternatives outperformed plans that did not. And after the financial crisis, uh, those that held more in alternatives actually underperformed those that did not. And so what we see is kind of over the whole period since the turn of the century, 2001 to today, that it was basically a wash. (laughs) Um, uh, But it's really a tale of two periods um, and overall really nothing in terms of return. So what it says is that public plans would have been just as well off staying in traditional stocks and bonds um, relative to this shift. Uh, to alternatives in terms of their overall performance. Um, we do find a small, a small uh, we do find an effect, excuse me, uh, regarding the decrease in volatility, but not in overall higher returns. Next up, we discuss the Commonwealth of Virginia's new Retire Path VA to help Virginians secure their retirement. Let's take a look. Um, Unfortunately, far too many Americans have little or nothing saved for retirement. Even if they do have a way to save, they're not saving enough. At Georgetown, we've estimated that there is about half of the private sector workforce, about 57 million American workers who go to work every day and don't have access to a way to save for retirement through their employer. 
And we know that if you have access to a way to save through your employer, you're 15 times more likely to save for retirement. So that's a significant impact by having access through an employer-sponsored plan. But unfortunately, if you don't have that access, most Americans, even though there are products out there, are not inclined to go open accounts on their own and save on their own. Only about 15% of American workers do that on their own. So it's really important to address this and to offer workers a simple, easy, accessible way to save for retirement. There are a whole lot of reasons why employers today are not able to offer offer plans to their workers. And the reality is employers are not required to offer those plans. But again, that all being said, the fact that so many American workers don't have access to a simple, easy way to save for retirement is something that our system is trying to address today. States are playing a key role in helping to make that happen and offer options that will make it much easier for workers to save. Yeah, you know, we've, we've done the research in Virginia and it has been interesting to me in all of this work how similar these statistics are across the states, even though the states are very different. You know, so the states that are open, what we're finding in Virginia tracks pretty well. Uh, and not too surprisingly, it tends to be smaller businesses. Uh, you know, the larger the business is, they have more resources, they have an HR department, uh, you know, they, they have uh, more mechanized, uh, you know, options for all of their employee benefits. And so they tend to offer a retirement option. And that's where people are taking advantage of it. So smaller employers, um, and then again, in Virginia, but it's not different from other places. Um, there are several industries, um, hospitality and you know, restaurant services, those tend to be underrepresented, um, construction industry, retail sales, um, and agriculture in Virginia, which is big. Those tend to be the ones where it sort of over indexes. They're also ones where you have maybe more not transient workers, but in and out, sometimes more seasonal workers, more part-time workers, uh, lower income generally. So fewer are professionals with higher incomes in those industries. Um, you know, so you find that. And then we also find in terms of who's underrepresented in retirement savings does tend to over-index for women. Uh, and a lot of women are our small business owners, I think all over the country, but I, I know Virginia best. And when we did our work, a lot of our respondents to our survey were, were female owned businesses uh, and, and then minorities um, tend to under index and, and be the ones that are being left out of retirement savings. It's exciting to see the, the number of states that have adopted programs like what we see with Retire Path in Virginia and leaders like Gary Morris. Um, the reality is for states, the cost, what policymakers have come to understand is that the cost of doing nothing is not an option. It's not an option because the fiscal and economic consequences of a rapidly aging population that has not saved enough for retirement is something that we must address. Today, already one in five elderly households rely on social security for more than 90% of their income. And again, we have our population over the next 10, 20 years uh, a significant sort of silver tsunami that's coming. And we need to make sure our younger generations are more prepared and understand the importance of saving and that saving even small amounts of money can make a significant difference. You know, state policymakers have understood this over the past decade. What's been exciting here at Georgetown working with the states is to see that 46 out of 50 states have at some point considered 
some kind of legislative proposal examining the importance of strengthening retirement security and these types of savings programs. And what's really exciting is that we have 16 states that now have adopted these types of savings programs with a potential, I mentioned 57 million who don't have access, to reach about 20 million, almost half of those workers. So in a short period of time, where for decades we've not been able to close the access gap, I think with states and what we see innovation in the private sector, we finally can get excited and I think have the possibility of making significant progress to close that access gap. And what we now see happening is just with three of the states, so we've still got a lot of other states to come on board, including the state of Virginia, reaching and helping workers there, but we've already crossed $500 million in assets in just these three states, and they're still onboarding employers with more than 600,000 new savers. So to think about the fact that just within the past two or three years, more than a half a million Americans are starting to save for retirement where they perhaps otherwise wouldn't. And we know from surveys in some of these states that they feel more financially secure, even having a small amount of money put away for savings. This is a major accomplishment and states have been leading this way because again, they understand that the current status quo, that the status quo is just not sustainable over the long term and has significant fiscal and economic consequences for us. I've been following this for probably a dozen years um, and really leveraging the work that Angela and the Georgetown Retirement Center have done, which is amazing. Uh, and, and was reached out, I would say the AARP has been a big proponent of these programs and they reached out to us in Virginia a long time ago when I was really just getting my feet wet on 529 programs. So in terms of seeing what the states can do on big policies like this, I think 529 programs and ABLE programs are, are a way to see how that can impact it. Federal government may try things, but the state can be an incubator for good ideas and do things a little bit differently in each state. And we work so well collaboratively and Angela and Georgetown have really pulled the states together that we've just learned a ton. And so our research shows a lot of what we're seeing in other states. And, and we learned a lot from that. But we've surveyed this and really done reports in Virginia three times. So it has been in front of our legislature um, at least since the mid 20, like 2014, I think. Um, and probably before that it was talked about, but it actually got a push. There was one study that was just really of a survey, the landscape study, people were thinking about it. There was another one. And then finally in you know 2019 and 2020 in that legislature, uh, we were tasked at Virginia 529 with, with doing a full report. And from that, we got a lot of the data that shows again, the same things that are happening in other states. Over 1.2, I'm going to guess it's even closer to 1.5 million Virginians today don't have access to a workforce retirement option. <clears throat> uh, things that I've learned that over 40 years with the federal government trying to incentivize and to get employers to participate, the needle hasn't moved. So I think there are some who look and say, why are the states doing this? And it's like, because nothing else has worked. Um, and we're seeing with five or 600,000 new people saving and states really stepping up, we're going to make a difference um, and you're going to find different ways to do it. And so, you know, we've done the surveys, uh, you know, what we, with the help, help of Pew uh, Trusts, which has been a great partner, I know, with the center and have done a lot in this space as well. There are a lot of folks who have been working from, for many more years than I have on this. Um, and one of their partners, ESI, we did a, a cost of doing nothing study. And that's really powerful to the states. You know, not doing anything, not solving this problem will cost in Virginia, I think it was $12 billion over the next 15 years. 
in people needing more state and federal support programs, you know, and having to tap in because they are simply going to retire without enough resources to sustain, you know, a, a reasonable lifestyle. So, so that's the kind of data that we looked at. And then, you know, really the General Assembly stepped up and in 20, um, 2021 passed legislation that authorized uh, Virginia 529 to start this program. And I think they looked to us because we do, do run a successful 529 program. Hopefully we know how to do the outreach and, and to reach the employers and the employees um, with the message and to make it simple and cost-effective to get started and, and really get on that pathway to financial health. You know, the auto IRA model is the model that we're seeing, as you said, adopted by more states. So of the 16 states, 11 of them have the auto IRA model, but quite honestly, some of the states that don't are, are looking at adopting a model similar to what we see in Virginia. And, you know, the reality is over time, there's been experience with these programs and the auto IRA program, quite honestly, is the one that I think is the most effective in terms of reaching and covering and engaging and the getting the highest level of participation, but from the greatest number of workers. And that's really what you want to see. You want to be able to reach as many workers as possible and create as many new savers as possible. And, you know, there are reasons why that's the case, because in the design of these programs, so, you know, to be clear, employers are not employers can certainly go out and adopt a plan in the private marketplace. But again, there are a variety of reasons why they don't do that and are not doing that. So the states are really creating a very simple, easy, low cost way to help. Essentially, we call it state facilitated because the state is in fact facilitating the savings of a worker. Um, through their employer. So it's making it as easy as possible, keeping all of the, essentially all of the burden off of the employer, making it as easy as possible to help that worker save worker to an individual retirement account and IRA and doing that. And so, you know, employers are helping to facilitate that through the auto IRA model. To be clear, it's always voluntary for the employee. If they can't save, they can they can choose to opt out. So they're auto enrolled into the program to begin the saving process. But again, to be clear, it's voluntary and they can change their mind and opt out of the program and choose not to save. So it's always voluntary for them. Um, and again, when we do that and what we see in the states is a high level of those who are auto enrolled are staying in the program. They are beginning to save. And in fact, we have these programs also have auto escalation features, many of them. And that's about a 1% increase year over year. And so in a state like Oregon and Oregon Saves, there are some workers now who are saving at a 9% level every year. And that's really exciting to see them putting that kind of money away. And it's important because they're saving through these programs. They're, they might be saving a modest amount, maybe $100 a month on average is what we're seeing. But again, that $100 a month, what is so important to understand is the power of time and compound interest. And we've done analysis at Georgetown, again, that's looked at if you're 25 years old and you start to put $100 a week, uh, a month away, and you do that consistently, just that modest amount, you're going to accrue a significant balance that can lead to significant supplemental income in retirement. And so that's a great income addition to your social security benefit even more it might help you delay claiming social to be able to wait and get an even larger social security benefit and even if you start later at age 45 and start saving we analyze that and it still can add up to a significant enough amount 
to again, to be important supplemental income at the time of retirement. So beginning to save, save early, start saving when you're young, you can save a small amount, but more than likely, you know, this is going to be a gateway to you moving into a 401k with an employer later on potentially, and you're gonna be able to save more, but this gets you started saving and saving as early as possible makes an enormous difference over the long run. Well, we're halfway through a look at our best segments. We come back, we take a look at the other half. You're gonna to wanna to stay tuned right here on BRN Weekly. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you stuck with a low credit score? A credit report and score that's causing you to be denied credit or pay higher interest rates than others for the same things? Then do what Terrence did and call Credit Repaired for your free credit evaluation to help restore your credit. I started thinking about buying a new house and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I, I liked what he was saying. Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit. I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score. Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation. Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152. Again, 800-819-4152. Welcome back. Next up, we discuss what are employers thinking about when it comes to retirement income. Let's take a look. We surveyed 1,000 participants, and we also surveyed 100 uh, large plant sponsors. And our research partner, uh, Greenwald Research, conducted 18 in-depth interviews where we learned uh, quite a bit about how plant sponsors are thinking. And when we asked why our retirement income program would benefit uh, their organizations, it, it was interesting. The, the top reason cited was 
that it was simply good to offer more options for employees. And there were some other factors that uh, came in uh, a little bit lower, uh, all, all basically tied. Uh, things like um, wanting to offer a retirement income program at a better better cost or lower cost than a participant could get on their own. And also uh, sort of these workforce management issues like, um, you know, helping uh, helping employees retire on time. So uh, interestingly, we, um, you know, 77% of these employers said that they were seeking to retain uh, uh, retirees in the plan. And you know, you would think that some of these economic benefits would have would have come through really high. But interestingly, uh, you know, retaining, you know, keeping plan assets, you know, up and, uh, you know, and some of these other economic factors uh, rank quite a bit lower than um, some of the, some of the uh, the issues that I just mentioned. Yeah. And then um, on to the second part of your question, you uh you know, on, on how many employers are really doing this right now? The, the answer is really very few plans have adopted a, you know, retirement income program as of yet. However, most plans have eliminated fees for, uh, for partial distributions or for periodic distributions. And, you know, we could certainly argue that that is a retirement income program. So, so many employers already have something, they're just looking to enhance it. Is there's a lot of conversations like Greg is mentioning. There's a proliferation of products from asset managers to uh, record keepers to managed account providers, and it makes the conversation a little bit more complicated. I atone it to um, religion, and what I, what I mean by that is we're talking about denominations of religion. There's very strong advocacy for specific retirement programs or retirement income solutions, but we don't know if our plan sponsors or the clients actually believe in religion. And I think one way that actually this could be addressed is we're trying to make the conversation simpler for our clients. And, and this is where Greg was, was going to with um, systematic distributions. We, we are telling our clients that nine out of 10 of them have a retirement income solution. And what I mean by that is 90% of our clients have a target date fund and systematic distribution which means that they have a they have a starting point to provide retirement income for their participants. I, I think it's important to get comfortable what the objective is, and I, they may have other forms of guaranteed benefits or lifetime income, but they're all going to need some kind of self-insured um, investment product. So I think target date funds as a starting point. Anything that has an asset allocation post sixty-five is the entry point for retirement income solution. It does not need to have a guaranteed income solution. It's kind of like Orient grammar school when you learn you know, a square and a rectangle. Square is a unique part of a rectangle. Lifetime income is a subset of retirement income, but all retirement income isn't insured. So this is an area where I think we got more out of the qualitative side of the study uh, than, than you know, the, the survey alone. In the in-depth interviews, plan sponsors said they viewed retirement income as part of financial wellness, uh, which is clearly a, a focus for employee, employee benefits today. Um, and many employers have spent decades helping participants you know, with saving and with the accumulation side on their DC plans, but not much has been done to help people derive retirement income from their DC plan savings. Uh, at the same time, you know, 
larger employers in particular have shifted over time from a defined benefit centric uh, retirement um, focus to a DC system. And so some of our, our, our interviewees uh, cited that as well. I think it's very unique to the employer and the culture of the employer. The total rewards and the benefit structure that an employer provides has a lot to do with the culture and the type of employees they recruit. And so I don't think it's unique to industries. I don't think it's unique to corporate plans versus non-for-profit. I think it's very much unique to the people that work at the employer. I've seen two corporate plans, plan A and plan B, where the person who's uh, managing benefits at plan A is much more involved in financial wellness and literacy. They had something personal in their life, maybe a, a parent or a father that, that made them really drive into the topic. So I think it's very much unique to um, the employer or the, or the people at the, um, at the employer to that, that provide those benefits. Yeah, and unfortunately the, the pandemic didn't hit every industry equally. It, it hit heavier on retail and hospitality and travel. And when we had the CARES Act at the start of 2020, um, financial literacy was the top of mind, especially for those employers that, that needed to help employees with short-term cash flow needs. Um, corporate America was not impacted nearly as hard as some of the other parts. And so as now as we're, we're coming out of the pandemic, employment is up. Um, there is the looming uh, recession out there. But I think the uh, financial literacy is going to be really, again, dependent on what the, what the culture is of the employer or the plan sponsor. And finally, using artificial intelligence to help predict complications from diabetes. Let's take a look. Yeah, it's very common. It's about 10% of the population. Uh, people may present with diabetes when they have, uh, they're gaining a lot of weight. Um, if they feel thirsty um, all the time or they're urinating frequently, uh, those are some of the signs of diabetes. Um, and we're just seeing more and more people with diabetes as we have more and more people who uh, have obesity. There are different types of diabetes. Sometimes people have diabetes when they're uh, teenagers. Sometimes people have diabetes when they're pregnant. Uh, and yeah, actually sometimes people can have diabetes and they're losing weight. Um, so that's one of the reasons why it's important to go see your doctor when you're not sure um, whether or not you have diabetes. It's also more common if you have a family history of diabetes. Um, yeah, it, it can definitely affect um, all sorts of people uh, in our population. Uh, it's, it is a condition where th there's too much sugar, where there's high sugar, and that high sugar leads to a lot of complications. So it can cause people to have heart attacks, mm. and strokes. Uh, it can affect the really small blood vessels in your body, uh, the blood vessels that affect your, that go to your eyes um, and to your nerves and to your kidneys. And those things can ultimately cause things like blindness and they can lead your kidneys to stop working. Uh, they can cause you to have um, problems with your feet so that you don't feel uh, uh, things in your feet as well. And so you may have a cut or you may have a sore in your foot and you may have no idea that you have them because um, you don't have the same sensation because your sugar's too high. And ultimately, people can uh, have amputations uh, from those types of conditions and complications. We are predicting those individuals who are going to accumulate uh, complications from diabetes. So there are uh, tools out there that predict who's going to develop diabetes in the future. And we are actually interested in uh, predicting those people who are going to accumulate complications. 
So the complications that I mentioned earlier, things like strokes and heart attacks and amputations and kidney failure, um, those complications ultimately cause people to die sooner uh, if they have diabetes. And they cause a lot of hospitalizations, a lot of costs, they reduce your quality of life. Um, I have a lot of patients who have these complications and they're just, you know, their quality of life is, is a lot lower. Um, you know, they're pretty miserable. And so we can do something to prevent them from having these complications. And that's a huge win for the healthcare system. It's a huge win for uh, those individuals. So artificial intelligence, a lot of the applications relate to prediction. So who is going to have specific outcomes that are undesirable in the future? And artificial intelligence lets us um, find those people and intervene before it's too late. We are actually looking at records like health records, and these include demographic information about our patients. Uh, we actually received a, a very unique data set from partners from Humana, which is a national payer. Yep. Um, so this is a data set that includes nearly a million people with diabetes across the country. Um, so it, it gives us a lot of information about their diagnoses, the medications that they're on, some of their lab tests. We also were very interested in their social risk factors. So these are social and behavioral issues that may be influencing whether or not their diabetes is under control. Things like uh, whether or not they're lonely or whether or not they have access to food in which neighborhoods that they live in. And we think as researchers that uh, those social pieces of information are very important uh, for us to come up with a artificial intelligence tool that is highly accurate. Um, in the past, a lot of artificial intelligence tools didn't have access to these types of data. And now that we're collecting these types of data, we think that they're going to make our predictions that much better. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news of lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, and all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, we'll visit our website, and of course, all of our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for BRN Sunday. I'll be joined by members of the media, financial services, academia, and government as we analyze all the news and events for the week. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.